You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Gareth Baber. Gareth is a Welsh former rugby player and now rugby coach. As a player, he represented Oxford University and Pontypriff in their European Shield victory in 2001. He transitioned into coaching in 2008, becoming an assistant for the Wales under-20 side, before eventually becoming the head coach of Cardiff Blues. In 2013, he became head coach of Hong Kong Men's Rugby Sevens and also director of the Senior Men's, Women's and Youth Programs. In 2016, he became coach of the Fiji Men's Sevens, ultimately leading them to 11 tournament victories, including the 2019 World Championship and the gold medal at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, the second Olympic medal in the nation's history. Gareth is a coach who takes great pride and satisfaction in seeing people release their potential. And to achieve this, he focuses on challenging his players and staff to think differently about themselves and the process they are involved in. He is also organised, thoughtful and empowering and sees himself as being more than just a rugby coach, but rather someone who is also responsible for building the culture that surrounds both people on and off the field. Some of the other key highlights of the interview were Gareth's thoughts on the importance of mental skills in helping you maintain consistency and focus your attention. 
and how as a leader he used this to ensure the team embraced accountability. The importance of being able to have self-leadership and put yourself in a position where you are able to fulfil your potential. And how it is the people who are chasing a better version of themselves that normally go on to place themselves in the best position possible to realise their potential. This was a great conversation, my first with a Welsh coach, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. But just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our library of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And while you're there, if you'd like to help our show, which is fully independent and free from ads, you can follow the link to our Patreon page where we offer exclusive content to our supporters. And now, please enjoy our interview with Gareth Baber. You are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Gareth Baber, good evening and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Well, it's nice for you to carve out a little bit of time on a Sunday night to chat with us. Yeah. Maybe yeah, I'll start with something simple. Where are you in the world today and what have you been up to? I'm in Cardiff. I came up to Cardiff from London. Cardiff is where the family home is. We had a game now coaching in Edinburgh and we had a game against Saracens in London yesterday and I jumped, I hopped on the train this morning to get back and pretty much doing a lot of family stuff and as I get back we're sort of putting up Christmas trees and I think it's my turn to make some mulled wine so yeah sort of nice to be home we spend a lot of time on the road and traveling away from family and it's quite nice to be back and doing some of those those things that family should do sort of coming in towards Christmas. Well, we're going to talk about the places you've travelled to. There's Hong Kong and there's Fiji and, of course, now now you're back. But perhaps let's start at the start, as they always say. And I'd like to actually begin by just asking you about some of the great coaches that you've had firsthand experience with. There's Alan Solomons, Alex Evans and Di Young. And I guess I wanted to ask, from this perspective, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? I think, I think one of the biggest things, and I know that gets talked a lot about in terms of coaching, is a vision of what you want it to be, whatever that may be. If you're within the business or organisation, sort of aligning it to what that vision of the business might be and, and how you want to bring the rugby to life. And, you know, all the three of those coaches had different, to me, had different sort of concepts of that, but were very driven getting there and understanding there was a journey to go on and to get to where they needed to. They had to put some things in place. And I think that certainly probably Alec is one that sticks out in my probably because of a, a period in my life which I needed somebody to drive me and push me. I was sort of 19, 20, I was a youngster playing at Cardiff. Alec was there. I had a number of senior players ahead of me, and he took a real interest, not just in me personally and my game, but more around my academia, where I was sort of traveling in my life. And that connection meant a lot to me at the time and certainly provided a good grounding for helping me to move on as an individual, but certainly as a rugby player as well. And I think that all those coaches, all three of those coaches had a very clear view of what they wanted to get to and develop them themselves, but also in the game that you were playing. And I think certainly for Alex and for Alan was sort of a connection, relationship connection, which then enabled you as an individual to progress and be more self-aware, aware of what you had in terms of strengths and weaknesses and really guiding you to that point where you're realizing potential. And I thoroughly enjoyed working under certainly two of them in terms of being a player and then Dai Young latterly as a coach I was very clear on how he wanted to play the game, what he expected out of the staff and the playing staff particularly. And great work ethic with him led very much in terms of what he devoted to the programme. And I think that that sort of stands out as well as 
You've got to have a work ethic in all of that. As a coach, as a good coach, as a great coach, to be ahead of everything, obviously, and strategically thinking about what's coming next. So in amongst those three, there was different, as I said, concepts from a vision to relationship builders to a work ethic, and then ultimately as well, a good strategic view of of how that all fits together and you can move a group of people to a point where they can achieve what is part of that journey. Gareth, you mentioned academia in there in your answer. And I I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, actually, because you studied at Swansea University and Oxford. Knowing what you know now, having traveled the world coaching and have had access to some of these wonderful coaches, what do you wish they had have taught you at university that they didn't? Well, I ended up studying not anything that was relevant to being a rugby player or a rugby coach. I didn't have a sports science background. I actually studied economics and economic history. And I ended up studying, I did a master's degree in transport as well, which I was destined to sort of move into. I think in both cases, within sport, but within academia as well, I think that I wish that somebody had given me more of a strategic teachings around how to, as I said, those great coaches have been able to fit the pieces together and an understanding, which to me only really comes with a maturity of personality, a self-awareness around what you do provide those programs and those environments that you go into. And obviously the academic side of what I did is very factually based. It's very much around creating arguments and being able to have debates around certain topics. But I've found certainly sort of since I left university, I'd still use a lot of the methodology that I used then in in writing reports or building understanding of the solution finding, if you like. But I think that within university, I, I wasn't possibly mature enough in terms of my personality to really understand how to piece that together with the relationships as needed to be built, certainly in a sporting environment, in a team sporting environment, that's hugely important to otherwise you'd be you'd be an individual sports person or coaching an individual. And you know, you, those are the sort of skills that you learn as you mature. You get more self-aware, your personality gets to a point where you are more comfortable to put yourself out there and I suppose None of that is really relevant to studying at university apart from the university experience, which was very much around having relationships with people, learning new ways of creating influence with others as you matured, but at the same time, ensuring that you're getting the side of the academia done. And you know the socialization aspect of university was hugely important to me and continue to be to, and probably why I stayed in it for six years. But at the same time, I was playing rugby. And I think that those that environment particularly moved me on as an individual to the point where I do very much a people person. I like being around people. I like what I can achieve with others. And that's probably one of my drivers is that not just myself, but you know, what can I bring out of others, be it my kids, but certainly when it comes to rugby sporting environments, having that strategic view, that perspective and a third or fourth person perspective to be able to see how you fit all that together. Um, and as I say, probably I wasn't mature enough at the time I was at university, but I think that's something that I, I lean heavily on now. It was Coach Lee Jones who spoke to you about becoming a coach towards the end of your professional career. When you now look out across the players that you're leading, what traits do you look for in someone who you think could make a successful head coach? I think you alluded to it earlier is, is that selflessness. I mean, 
I think that your rapport building, if you're going to get the best out of people, in my opinion, then rapport building, relationship building, being able to create influence with individuals and groups of individuals into a team aspect, the teaming part of it. I think that those are skills that aren't quickly acquired and socialization aspect of it when you're involved in rugby circles or you've had the background I have probably in my university life. I look for people who display and tend to display that in their attitudes, their behaviors. Don't always pick it up, but you can certainly see it in players. And sometimes that comes with the selflessness on a rugby field that you can see people lead by deed. And that's particularly powerful, but also in that social aspect of being in a team of putting other people first, but equally having that self-leadership of being mature enough to understand what you need to do to put yourself in a position to be aware of how you can fulfill your potential and sticking to that, you know, showing integrity in, in that every day is difficult. It's tough. Being a professional sports person, you don't get days to clock off. You've probably heard every day is a win day. Every day is a chance to develop yourself and continue to develop yourself. And I'm a big believer that individuals who are chasing a better version of themselves are normally the ones that end up getting to a position of fulfilling potential and then the leadership positions. Because ultimately, for me, they're the ones that are chasing a personality change and not satisfied with staying and remaining. They're looking for the next movement of themselves. And the rugby or the sporting environment gives them an opportunity to do that. And those people that are chasing that tend to go through a journey of self-discovery and a generation of awareness in conjunction with maturity of personality to a point that they're very comfortable in their own skin and they recognize what a team would need in certain different contexts. And quite often that's putting people first. And the people that I tend to gravitate to when it comes to making decisions about leadership or can see that they would be coaches in the future are people who tend to have others or other players, members of staff's needs at hand first before theirs, although they're looking after that part of what they need to de deliver um, behind all that as well. And I still see that as a very strong trait in ensuring that you become a good coach. Gareth, you have talked in other interviews about being a student of coaching and the fact that you took some learning when you were in Hong Kong from the legendary Australian swim coach, Bill Swettenham. I'd like to just talk about that Hong Kong experience for a little bit, if I could. And was there any particular lessons that you picked up while you were there that you took into your role in Fiji? I think one of the biggest lessons for me, and I talk about Bill Sweetman, but there were other coaches. We were housed as a sevens program at the Hong Kong Sports Institute, which is a government-funded institute, sporting institute, and effectively all sports, you have to win points, if you like, to get into the sports institute. Once you're in there then you're provided with resource and facilities to be able to make the leap forward again to the Olympics or, or Olympic qualification. That's effectively what the Rugby Sevens program was doing in, in Hong Kong. And that gave me the opportunity to have conversations with and be influenced and carry influence with other coaches from other sports. And I think that that was probably one of the biggest learnings that I took out of Hong Kong was uh, gleaning as much as I could off of them, getting them to challenge me with conversations around coaching generally. And I, I believe probably 
over the last seven years, I've moved on from being solely a, a rugby coach to now thinking of myself a little bit more about a coach of people. And I've toyed a little bit with the idea of outside of sports coaching about coaching people in maybe not a life coach, but people who are driven to get things in their lives and and to want to map that out and understand the process you go through. Speaking to other coaches, you can pick up a huge amount of knowledge around how you can piece all that together again. And I think that was one of the big learnings I took from Hong Kong was being having an opportunity to have conversations around the notion of coaching and, and what that meant not just in my individual, but my team sport that I'm involved in, but across other sports such as athletics or swimming, such as karate, even snooker coaches in Hong Kong. But also then I accessed mental skills coaches as well. And the question of coaching, what is it you do it for? What is your purpose in being a coach? And I certainly moved that on again when I went into Fiji, knowing what the landscape was in Fiji, the expectation around what this team had to go and do. But what I also want to do is challenge myself in my journey, which was to keep developing myself as a coach. And I still do it now. And anything that I could grab hold of to ensure that I could keep moving. And I probably didn't have as great an avenue to having those conversations in Fiji than I had in Hong Kong. But certainly as a movement, I suppose, in, in my coaching philosophy and my coaching skills, Hong Kong was particularly powerful for me, not just from a rugby perspective, but certainly I'd say being open, opening my mind to what other sports have shown to be the avenues for their planning and their mechanisms for producing international athletes and utilizing some of that in my own coaching. But ultimately as well, as I sort of alluded to there is testing yourself and expanding my view of what coaching is for me, not solely a means to an end with an athlete, but as part of, of a journey for that athlete or player that you're tasked with coaching, but also ensuring that I keep that going for myself as well, that that is a huge part of the journey is the link in that makes in your own learning. So you take this learning, you take this Hong Kong experience and you get the job in Fiji. Initially, you struggled. Well, the team wasn't going so well and it wasn't till that victory in the Hong Kong Sevens that things seemed to really click for you in the team. I imagine you may have experienced some self-doubt, maybe not. But what I wanted to ask you was when it comes to dealing with self-doubt with your athletes, is there any particular approach you found to be more useful than others? Well, I suppose any coach, well, you'd be, any coach would be lying if they said there was no self-doubt. There was certainly self-doubt. Um, but I was also quite objective about it. I felt the pressure. And you do understand, certainly from a Fijian perspective, where it's the national sport and it's so intrinsically linked with a sense of national pride and national identity in relation to what Fiji can do as a small nation state in an international competition to be able to compete at the level that they do. I was fully aware of what that looked like when I was in Fiji and certainly circumstances as they were after an Olympics and the changeover of player transition period, the first year was difficult, but I was also objective about that. And I think that one of the biggest things that you probably take from that in terms of the self-doubt is Again, I've come back to probably that I talked about earlier, which was perspective. 
the maturity of personality, the understanding of your journey and where you might be in that and what you're developing and learning, not solely fixated and obsessed with every single kick and pass and drop of a ball that you're able to create some perspective and objectivity around that and be able to then relate that to the players with a consistency. So developing a safe and well-delivered feedback system, which is based around the objective of whatever you might be in that time was hugely important and a big learning process because around you there's hysteria and you're ultimately paid to be, use the term authentic, And that was challenged, certainly, your authenticity to not suddenly become something else. I didn't want to think of myself doing something else. I felt the pressure. But that's not about me then projecting that back onto the players. That's about my processes to understand how I run my brain, to ensure that I give consistency in a coaching environment so that those relationships that you are fostered and developing give an opportunity to go through periods which are not as successful as others and that you as a coach are seen in that relationship to be consistent. And ultimately, I found probably from my own experiences with those coaches that I gravitated to because of that, I found that that's quite a successful way of bringing players on and through tough periods. And you do play different roles in different contexts as the leader of that, from when a mentor to a motivator, to a teacher, to a a psychologist. And in all that, you're sort of seeing what each individual needs, but ultimately remaining consistent yourself with your delivery, your personality, your characteristics, because ultimately you've got to give that relationship, which is to me the bit that gets that player to the point where he is able to become self-aware and produce his potential. Then there's the test and the challenge of you and your character's as a leader. And I like to think I've got better at it. And I do believe that I am certainly more comfortable in my skin now as a coach than I was, say, 12 years ago when I sort of first kicked this off. And it's a very different space you find yourself in than when you were a player. I like to think as a player that I was humble. I was competitive. I was driven. I did enjoy being in a team and the camaraderie and the relationships you had, but I probably was not aware just how much my life would go in the direction of taking that on again tenfold to the point where you're now understanding how you run relationships, but particularly how you run the relationship in your own head and how that affects others and how you can stay consistent with it and give that view for those players and athletes of of what that looks like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you got through this tough period with that, using some of the examples in that great answer you just gave, and then the team go on this great run, five back-to-back tournament victories in the HSBC World Circuit, more than any other coach or team in history. And what I'd like to ask you is from this experience, what have you learned about focusing teams and getting them prepared and moving forward without a sense of entitlement or complacency? Well, that was one of our biggest challenges, not so so much the sense of entitlement in Fiji, because there's a sincere lack of a sense of entitlement. They come from very humble up, up backgrounds. And even the players that come into the international squad sort of with me very much come out of the village. They don't have a model of what professional sport looks like, apart from conversations with guys who have gone on and done that. So this is the first real environment they come into where they have sort of the behaviours and standards around being a professional player. After that first year and trying to get some degree of consistency around performance, I have a mental skills coach and I've worked with a mental skills coach actually in Australian and works for a company there. And the challenge was consistency. We sort of worked out that we had talent, but again, going back to the personalities of the individuals that we were working with, there was varying levels of, if you like, of where that personality sat and their ability to mature and take on the information and most of all, create focus in the ability to perform. And that's not, you have to win the gold medal every time you play, but how can you have a consistency in performance? How do you get that into an individual and then collectively move that on? So we did, certainly in that first year, we introduced a lot of mental skills and those were generated around focus, attention. And one of the biggest things that we did is we delivered it through me. I had a relationship, as I've talked about, with the players already. And I'd done it in how I always thought I would want to be coached in an environment where I wanted to give them some empowerment, but there was accountability that came with that empowerment and build relationships with them. But equally, I wanted to take them on a journey towards what I knew they were capable of in terms of delivering above and beyond their potential of what they recognize as their potential. And a lot of that was down to do with mental skills and a consistency of a program around them, which delivered daily habits and standards around being a professional player. And that was probably the three things. I was well aided by the coaches around me and my manager and staff around us. And we all knew what that looked like. And it was keeping players to task, keeping them consistent with their training, taking them through the processes of what that professional player would do to regularly be able to deliver the quality of skill that they could but at the same time, ensuring that you kept a massive flavor of what it was to be Fijian and particularly in the way that they played the game as well. And that was obviously a challenge. We're not swamping them with too much, cramming their heads with too much new knowledge, but staging that over a period of time, putting that together around the standards and behaviors of what the working day would look like or working week would look like, and then building into their training methods of challenging them with mental skill exercises and then 
having purpose in the training. So they were very clear on where it all fitted in to being the players they were being asked to be. And I think that still right up until through the Olympics, we were still doing those exercises. We were still doing focus exercises from breathing exercises that enabled them to get into a space which was relaxed yet was focused, providing them visualization techniques, linking things in team meetings or in the environment to their purpose around what they do in relation to motivation and who they represent. And you're hitting them consistently in a measured manner through weeks, months, years to get yourself to a point where my challenge was to win a gold medal. And, you know, ultimately that was what that sort of second year showed us was that we could perform at that level consistently. However, we didn't win the series that year and we didn't win the series because on the times we didn't win the tournaments, we dropped off the other way. So there was still this yo-yoing in terms of performance. And that was still, to me, going through some of those processes which sort of came together in the third year, if you like, which was around when we did five again and then we won the World Series that year. And I look back now, I didn't know it then, but you like to think that that was sort of seeing some of the process come to fruition. So Fiji's now won two Olympic gold medals in their history, both in rugby sevens. So I imagine the media scrutiny must be so intense. In fact, you alluded to it before. How did you help the team prepare and tune this noise out or deal with it in a way that wasn't unproductive? Yeah, in Fiji, I mean, probably a little bit like Australian cricket, New Zealand 15s rugby, English soccer. It is on front and back pages of newspapers every day. So the players are quite used to understanding what that looks like. However, as I said earlier, a lot of these players aren't guys that have come from programs playing super rugby or international rugby elsewhere. They have come out of the villages and there was a huge amount of responsibility on us as a coaching staff to make sure that this didn't swamp them and overawe them. But I think that one of the biggest ways that we normalize the process, if you like, is we discussed it. We discussed it with the players quite regularly. I call them attention robbers. The players were quite aware of what they were. And we would, if we were going to Hong Kong, for example, and we would know that there'd be the razzmatazz around a Hong Kong tournament and there would be lots of people, lots of alcohol around and the things that can just distract you. If you're going to other parts of the world, there's going to be big Fijian communities, which is fantastic to have. But again, that can lead you away in terms of focus from what you're going. So I was always conscious and you learn with experience as well as you travel the world with Fijians that there's going to be great attention on them, but ultimately bringing them back all the time to the purpose and the intention of what, what you're there to do. And one of those intention purposes is to have fun as well. And I don't want to forget that because I had a huge amount of fun with these crazy Fijians that they do. They're loved around the world. They love everybody they meet and they just enjoy being around each other the whole time. And they're so bonded in terms of their relationships. But that was a challenge, a challenge that we looked after as, as a staff, a challenge that we looked after as a group of players in normalising the process of understanding what the distractions would be and how we manage them. And I think that we did navigate our way through it. I wouldn't say it was perfect. But again, that's what the challenges are of being professional sports coaches and players is to ensure that you do keep ahead of this. And when you do fall foul of it, that you use it to learn from and move yourself on and ultimately not repeat errors like that in the future. And I like to think the players 
learned a huge amount from that. And I'm glad to see now some of them moving on in other areas, back into 15s rugby for, for Fiji and Drewer and international rugby. And that then fills you with pride as a coach that you've put them in that or you've helped put them in that position. Gareth, speaking of getting ahead and staying ahead, I have this great quote from you. And you say, it's always been a bit of a fear of mine, not being in front of the curve. You've got to do everything you can to be there. And so I wanted to ask you, how is this drive to innovate visible in your coaching? I think probably not to get too heavy about what we do on the field, but I think probably one of the biggest innovations is been relationship building. And I know that might sound quite base for what we do, but the innovation for me has probably been in my coaching has been the, the mental skills side of it. And I know that people in sport get scared away by that. Sometimes you've suddenly turned into this person who thinks he's an amateur psychologist and can suddenly reinvent things for people or give them the silver bullet for success. I don't believe in that at all. What what I do understand now is I like going through process with people. I like building relationships. I like to be put into challenging positions with them. And I'm a lot more confident now about, and I like to probably give over that sense of confidence that when stuff is tough, that that's where we're supposed to be. And I think that challenging players, challenging staff who you're leading to think differently, not necessarily to create for the sake of creating, but challenging them to think differently about themselves and about the process they're involved in and what motivates them and what moves them closer towards their success is what I'd say is probably more evident in my coaching than anything else. It's great rugby coaches out there. This is my method. I don't know whether it fits for everybody, but I certainly believe coaching is about that process of getting to know somebody, getting to understand what is their motivation, what are their strengths and weaknesses, how they perceive themselves, what is their mindset to the process that they're involved in, and then guiding them and helping them and ultimately moving them into a space of almost of self-actualization where it just dawns on them that they're that good and they can do it in the most bizarre circumstances, which in many respects, as we got towards the Olympics, it was a strange existence we were all living and never more strange than finding yourself in quarantine time after time and isolation and coming out and fitting your training together and keeping focus and moving a group together in a foreign country, many of which had never been to the country and then going to a tournament where there was no crowds and you're in the village for five days maximum, two days before, and just, right, this is what you're going to deliver. And that's the bit that I think that in terms of the innovation bit, I know it's probably not what people think of in terms of innovation, but certainly I do believe in that being probably the most innovative part of my coaching now is being comfortable with that and creating an environment around individuals to take confidence from that and go on the journey with me. Oh, it's a great answer. Thank you for sharing it. Gareth, if it's not too personal, I'd like to ask you about your father because I've heard you talk about him and say how much he influenced your philosophy as a leader. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, he was an economics lecturer in Cardiff University, a bright man, had studied at London School of Economics and was very much behind everything I did as a rugby player and was a people person, very gregarious, loved pub life in Wales, as I do as well, but also just loved being with people and was very much driven and loved sports and particularly loved team sports. And when I was about 10, he contracted or he was 
diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and, and went into a wheelchair pretty rapidly after about two years. And I was probably at that point in my life where my brother and sister were older. They were doing their last years of high school and going on to university. And I effectively became a little bit of a carer for my dad. My mum was working as well, but through school I was caring for him. And one of the things that I saw in him was this desire to make good he saw the good. If people were driven, people wanted to get on, how much he would support them, even though he was battling himself with his own affliction. And he was dean of students at Cardiff University for a number of years. And he took massive pride in seeing individuals release potential and go on that journey. And I viewed it, I didn't quite understand it, where it fitted at that time. And sometimes I joke with him about what he was, but particularly, obviously, he saw that in me as well. And he... He didn't drive me. He certainly supported me and he moved things for me to, to keep moving forward. But I'd been, a, as a kid, I was, I was lucky. I was a good sportsman. I was in a good environment, loved soccer, rugby, cricket, any sport I'd play. And I was a third child and it was all about me. And the all about me bit was I had to be the winner in everything I did. And my father recognised that I was a leader via that. I think he also recognised that potentially at some stage my personality would mature, it would become less about me and it would potentially coincide with understanding where he was coming from and what he wanted others to be. And I think that certainly my experiences with my father for certainly through that sort of age of 10, 11, through to about 18, my awareness around my support for him and my giving over for him matured my personality at that stage that I started to care about what others wanted. And it wasn't just about this third child syndrome that needed to be heard and seen in everything he did and be front and center. I didn't really need to be that anymore, but I did need to be part of the process of being around others and me being successful with others. And certainly he provided that I can't leave my mother out of this. My mother doesn't like rugby. She's only ever watched me twice, but between the two of them as well, their relationship, the strength that they had as a pair in that, in getting the three children to what they wanted to do with their lives, even though dad was struggling in the wheelchair and times were hard for my mum because she was working full time and, and the likes. But as I say, they were both of them and their Christian background as well was always about others and about making sure that others benefited from the experiences that we shared. And as I say, probably as a father now, I model my fatherly role, certainly along what I saw him do, and certainly how I tend to build relationships with the players and staff that I now work with or have worked with. Gareth, there's this theme of calculated risk that seems to run through your career, from walking away from a career in transportation, as you said, to play professional rugby, transitioning into coaching, moving to Hong Kong, then Fiji, now coaching in Scotland. I'm wondering, what do you tell others now when it comes to taking the road less travelled? Well, it's not for everybody, that's for certain. And, and I know that it does become a little bit about your attitude to risk. I've been blessed and my wife and I have been very blessed in being afforded the opportunities that we've had. And a lot of them have come from... I think for the pair of us, from being in strong families where we were supported and when we took risks as young people, they were supported by our families. 
as I said, I had my dad who supported me massively and my mum. And we always knew that if something didn't happen the way we wanted it to, there were people there to support us. And that's a very privileged position that I found myself in. And my wife and I have always found ourselves in to make those. However, seldom have I actually had to go back and ask somebody to support us at that. But I know mentally to have that support in the background has always been almost inherent in the way that we go about things as a family that we don't stress too much about if it does go wrong. We do believe that if it goes wrong, it doesn't work out. What We'll go back and we'll start again. And I don't see things as terminal. I don't see things as even going to Fiji at the time that we did. If it didn't go well in the first six months or a year and I was sacked, then so be it. That's the nature and life of being a rugby coach. And I don't know much else, if I'm honest. I was a rugby player on two-year cycles for your contracts. You're always playing for your next gig. And certainly as a coach, you can be on a shorter time frame than that. So I think we've just come to sort of live with that. And that sort of lends itself then to taking slightly bigger risks in what you do. We've never thought we've put ourselves or our family at harm's, harm's way. But what I would say is that the opportunities that have opened up for us because we've been willing to put ourselves out there and that element of risk, self-risk, I think is a huge driver in creating focus. It's the challenge behind the challenge, if you like, around you know how you have to continually make yourself better. And if I was willing to settle, if we were willing to settle as a family, then there's no way I'd have got anywhere near coaching, you know, one of the greatest sevens teams in the world to an Olympic gold. And that's with us forever, that is. And, and the experience that we had and how that's, I've probably talked about it enough this evening, but how that's moved me on and moved us on. And I now look for the next challenge and I look for the self-risk that is in it. And we don't tend to shirk from it. I'm, I'm very blessed to have my wife, Danielle, supporting me in coming back from Fiji, striking up a relationship with coaches in Edinburgh my family are in Cardiff and then we're on to the next thing. And it's as if we don't miss a beat. And because we know that we've got a strength of relationship and we've got a, a knowledge of how we're going to go about this. And ultimately she takes massive pride in what I'm able to achieve and what the teams that I'm involved in are able to achieve. So in some regards, the logistics of what we do is tougher than the concept of risk, because ultimately it becomes very factual and logistical if it doesn't work out. So there becomes a lot of expectation and pressure on me to deliver. Well, I'm conscious, talking about delivery, we started this interview talking about mulled wine and I'm conscious that it's Sunday night. So I might just ask one last question if I could, Gareth, and I'd like to frame it with another quote from you if I could. And you say, since then I have toured the world with rugby and being Fijian is as close to being Welsh as I have seen anywhere. It's the closeness of faith, family, community and the game and the rituals that surround it all. So I wanted to just finish by asking you, based on this, what is it the legacy that you would like to leave as a coach? I think the legacy I'd like to leave as a coach is probably rugby is a very diverse sport. It's a sport about all shapes and all sizes. I came into the game loving, I played soccer, loved soccer. I wanted to be a soccer player, wasn't good enough. I was going to go and play for Liverpool, but that never happened. But rugby provided me a greater avenue for having relationships, the camaraderie that's around it. Again, I know that some of the rituals 
around rugby can get frowned upon. And there is a limit, obviously, and I understand that. But there is something in there, the socialization, the enculturation that happens in a rugby environment, which I struggle to see in other parts of life. And it's been so rewarding for me as a person. And it's been successful as well. You know, I didn't play for Wales 15s. That was my dream as well. But I had a huge journey in terms of being a player, which is now pushed on to being a coach. And I think that I've got closer to the values of rugby, of what I came in the values of rugby, about respect, fairness of play, about camaraderie, about a game for all shapes and all sizes, about the diversity within the game. And in this highly charged, professional, sporting world that we live in, there are still some real beautiful moments that you get in the game of rugby between coaches from different nations, between players from different nations, on the field seeing the respect that is still shown in the game. And I would like my legacy to be coaching that, coaching to that whenever I can, with always the eye and the intention of winning everything you do but never losing sight of what the game is and the legacy of me and what people who've been with me would go, yes, that was as good as it got in terms of being in the rugby model and close to what we all came in the game playing, yet we always, always had the intention of winning everything we did. I think the concept of intention is a wonderful way to finish. Thank you so much for your time today, Gareth. I know it's a Sunday night and there is stuff going on in the kitchen that you need to go and be yeah, a yeah. part of. I'll go and get into that now. <laughs> so thank you very much and have a great Christmas. Thank you very much and to you as well. Hi, everyone. It's Jim here. You've been listening to the great coach, Gareth Baber. There were many, but for me, the key highlights were how he normalized the process of understanding the distractions around the team and managing them, how you deal with self-doubt by keeping perspective on where you are on the journey towards your vision, maintaining consistency in your behaviours and not becoming focused on every possession or statistic, and wanting to leave a legacy where people acknowledge the intention of winning in everything they do. I do hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then reach out, let us know. Just like Sarah and Tico, who after listening to our Sally Ann Briggs interview said, another fantastic example of an inspirational and innovative high-performance female coach. Great insights and a fabulous role model. Sarah, I couldn't agree with you more. And Chris Hunt from the USA who commented, I'm into that. Another world-leading podcast from Paul and Jim. Chris, Sarah, thank you. It's the interaction with the people around the world who listen to the podcast give us great energy and all the details on how to connect with us and other people who are interested in the leadership insights from great sports coaches are in the show notes. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.